The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Jim Riddle. He is a certified organic farmer based in Winona, Minnesota, but known internationally and respected internationally as being an expert on organic farming systems, standards, policy, and advocacy. His 30-year work history includes, but is not limited to, organic outreach coordinator for the University of Minnesota, former chair of USDA's National Organic Standards Board, and steering committee chair for the recently established Organic Farmers Association. Jim has served on the Minnesota Department of Agriculture's Organic Advisory Task Force and was instrumental in passing the Organic Certification Cost Share Program, which is now a component of our National Farm Bill that provides 75% reimbursement for organic certification costs. He and his wife, Joyce Ford, own and operate Blue Fruit Farm. It's an organic farm, and it's about five acres in southeastern Minnesota where they grow blueberries, elderberries, black currants, aronia berries, honey berries, june berries, blue plums, and more. And when I was putting together this introduction, what it sounded to me like was a true pharmacy, a good-tasting pharmacy. Now, I happened to hear Jim speak at the 35th Annual Beyond Pesticide Forum. The title of his rousing keynote talk was Make America Organic Again, and I wanted to have him on to share his insights with us. Welcome, Jim. Well, thanks, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you're a fabulous speaker on all things organic, and in preparing for this talk, I, of course, listened to your recorded presentation at the forum, but I also listened to some of your other great presentations that you've given on eOrganic, for example, and I'll provide those links for our listeners. But you grew up on a farm in Iowa, and I learned that your family subscribed to Organic Gardening Magazine. And you, at a young age, recognized that there were illnesses in your community, and that is one of the reasons why you shifted to organic farming. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about your history and how you became so dedicated to this method of farming. Well, yeah, I did grow up on a small farm in south-central Iowa, and we old sweet corn on the roadside and had some dairy cows, but my mom always had a big garden, and I learned early on about composting and mulching and the value of earthworms, and yeah, we would read Organic Gardening Magazine, and really, that grew up as a way of life, as well as things like canning and putting food up, so some of those rural skills that Joyce and I still practice today, and now we raised two daughters and now have three granddaughters, and we've just seen the health benefits in our own children, in our own lives, really, of uh, maintaining a good, healthy diet of clean, organic food. So we're really lucky. I mean, besides the things that we grow on our farm and then we have our own garden as well, to live in an area where we can get lots of good organic food in this southeast Minnesota, western Wisconsin, northeast Iowa area. It's kind of a 
hotbed of organic lifestyle and food co-ops, so it's a wonderful place we've chosen to live. One of the things that I like to do when I talk to farmers is to ask them about what their reasons are for becoming organic, as well as what their greatest challenges are. Because I always look at the world through this policy lens, and I know you do too, and I feel like both benefits and challenges can be woven into farm and food policy. So you worked for 20 years as an organic inspector. Right. So tell me a little bit about how that works. You visit farms and you interview farmers and they tell you what the benefits and challenges are. So tell me. Well, right. And even more than that, I would always like to just ask people, you know, why are you going organic or why did you go organic? You know, and there's no right answer or anything. It's just an icebreaker. You know, you can talk about the weather, but to me it's more interesting to hear people's stories. And, yeah, they're all over the map, but very common. The story of family illness or neighbors with illness or children with birth defects or livestock that got ingested some insecticide or something and died, and all of a sudden that's a wake-up call. So things really close to home impacting people. Or I remember one young farmer, he'd been through the pesticide applicator training, which I went through just to learn what conventional farmers are being taught. And you're supposed to wear rubber gloves and a respirator and a Tyvek suit when you're handling herbicides and insecticides. And he said, I just want to be able to get off my tractor and hug my kids. You know, and not feel like I am a source of poison to my own family. Yeah. Um, And going through washing your clothes separately and rinsing the machine three times before the family does their laundry. I mean, it it should be a a pretty red flag to a lot of people, the the hazards, and, and basically being on the front lines of a war against nature. But a lot of other people, it's really spiritual. It's way... You know, they interpret that God intends us to relate to the earth, that we are stewards of the earth. And then there's the very strong kind of back-to-the-land movement element as well, and other people getting in it because they see better profitability, and there's nothing wrong with that, too. But it's just very interesting to hear, you know, what motivates people to go organic. And these days, it's just a lot of younger people. It's much more accessible, less hazardous. So you see at the organic farming conferences just a much younger demographic where they have to worry about child care because, you know, the, the people are bringing their young kids and there's teen activities and not everybody has gray hair, although, you know, nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, but that's uh, right. you go to conventional farm events and that's the demographic is the, you know, over 60 crowd, whereas the organic events It's a lot of people in their 20s and 30s that are really excited about farming and producing good food. Yeah, that's a great observation. It's almost like our younger generations have woken up and recognized the propaganda that's been fed to so many of us in thinking that, you know, in order to quote-unquote feed the world, we have to use these poisons. And we're being taught that actually that's not the case. No, but the farm policies access to credit, access to land, really do tilt things towards the status quo, towards maintaining the corn and bean systems, the monocropping, and not having cover crops, not having soil building rotations or or 
enhancing pollinator habitat, the things that are really common on organic farms, are discouraged through some of our farm policies. Yeah, and that I can see as one category of challenge. One of the challenges that I see in the Midwest, but a little bit farther south, Arkansas and Missouri, for example, is spray drift. And I wonder how many farmers have been dealing with that that you've spoken with. Yeah, I'm currently back on the Minnesota Organic Advisory Task Force and chairing that, and we've never seen the level of complaints as we have this year. Part of it is the dicamba-resistant crops that are harming other genetically engineered crops that don't happen to be able to withstand that class of herbicide. So it's not even just organic farmers, but it's a GMO farmer against another GMO farmer who happens to be using a different type of trait. But, yeah, I'm involved in several cases here in Minnesota of pesticide drift. Luckily, our farm, we're very well protected, have a lot of woods and and natural areas, so it's not a personal concern. But I see it just increasing, and part of it, what I see going on is a lot of farmers aren't doing their own spraying anymore. They hire the elevator, the farm co-op, or some spray service, and, you know, these are people that are working by the hour. They want to cover as many acres as they can. They aren't always careful about wind speed or wind direction or where sensitive crops or beehives are or people growing food crops versus industrial crops for ethanol or biofuel. And so th- there's more mistakes happening because of some shifts in agricultural systems, but also especially with the dicamba, it's known to volatilize and trespass. And so it's an old chemical that's been reintroduced with a history of chemical trespass. And so we're going backwards instead of forwards. Exactly. Well, you know, at the forum, I recall clearly one of the statements you made, and that was that this industrial system that we have now is really just a 70-year experiment. And we can learn from that experiment and say, okay, enough is enough. I think the dicamba incidents are certainly reason to say enough is enough, but many other reasons too, including health risks in rural communities. But I think from a historical perspective, looking at it like, you know, it's just been 70 years. We don't have to continue down this path. Well, right, and that's how I came up with that title, Make America Organic Again, as a reminder that bulk of the history, by far, of North America and even the United States on this continent has been organic management. And we've only been engaged in this monocrop chemical intensive experiment for about 70 years, and that, that's just a blip of time. And we actually had humans living here, surviving, eating well. It's not like we're going to starve. And why are we turning 40% of the U.S. corn crop into fuel for our cars? It's not even food for humans. And the rest of it is food for livestock. So it's not like we're growing food in the bulk of the agricultural countryside. Um, We're growing industrial crops that then, like the corn that does go to food, goes to high fructose corn syrup, something that has detrimental health effects. 
and carries glyphosate residues with it and the BT toxins with it into the food supply. Exactly. You know what I loved about your presentation, too, is you had many lists why there are good reasons to shift to a non-industrial method. And the first one was, you know, after 70 years of this industrial farming experiment, what do we have? We have depleted soils, contaminated ground and surface water, and massive increases in pesticide use. How can this be good for public health? Well, it's not. And I think the results are pretty evident when you look at the increases in various cancers of all types, for instance, or autism, or birth defects, ADHD in children, or various food allergies that have just skyrocketed in the last 20 years especially. Exactly. I mean, we are what we ate. You know, the food that we consumed yesterday is who we are today. Absolutely. You know, one of the presentations you gave, I'm jumping back and forth from the forum to some other talks that you've given, but one of the things that you mentioned about in your visits when you go to visit organic farms is that the farmers will tell you that with organic production, their veterinary bills drop, and immediately they see that with the organic feed, they have healthier livestock. And it just made me think, well, gosh, it would make sense then for us to eat organic food too. Yeah, yeah, that was certainly a trend that I noticed and other inspectors noticed that visit a lot of the organic dairy farms is farmers just consistently saying that once they switch to 100% organic feed, got their animals out on pasture where they're getting exercise and fresh air and really tending to the basic animal husbandry that the animal's health improved. And you see that one really striking piece of evidence is the average number of lactations of conventional dairy cows is less than two years. It's anywhere between one and two years, more like one and a half years, whereas organic farmers often have cows that have been lactating for at least six and often more years. And they're able to get bred back, so they're producing more calves in their lifespan, which is another product that the farmer sells because they don't want to double their herd every year, so they have more calves. So that's another sign. It's not just longevity, but they're also more fertile and able to reproduce. And that's another thing happening to humans. Exactly. (laughs) The uh, problems with sperm count and just reproductive issues in our society is shocking. Exactly. What's going on, and that's related to environmental contaminants, including things that are in our food. Exactly. All right, let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, my guest is Mr. Jim Riddle, certified organic farmer and internationally respected expert on organic farming systems, standards, policy, and advocacy. Jim, one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a lot of consumer skepticism, and it's fueled by maybe a newspaper headline, uninformed reporters who really give organic a short shrift. And I wonder if you could just give our listeners an overview of what does that organic certification really mean? Well, the word organic on a product in the United States means that that food was grown using organic methods that build soil health, protect water quality, but also avoid the use of toxins. 
And when you have healthy soil, it directly relates to higher levels of vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, antioxidants. So you have consistently, and research shows this, higher levels of nutrients and lower levels of toxins. Much lower or no pesticide residues consistently shown in numerous research tests of organic. And there's no genetic engineering allowed. And modern foods that aren't organic, chances are, contain genetically engineered organisms of one type or another. So those are major differences right there. But another thing that people need to keep in mind that that there is a set of regulations, the organic standards at the national level that all organic growers must follow. And if a farmer is selling over $5,000 of organic products a year, they have to be inspected and certified to show that they are following those standards. They have to keep track of the seeds they use, every input they use, what they use for fertility, and also when they harvest their crops, how they store them, and who they sell them to. So there's a built-in traceability in the system, what's called the audit trail. So people can go back and find out what's the source, where did these ingredients come from. And that's really difficult, if not impossible, to do with conventional foods because it's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. So there's just really significant differences. And I think a lot of the skepticism relates to the fact that organic foods consistently cost more. I mean, yeah, you can get good deals on organic foods by going to a farmer's market or joining a CSA and canning, freezing, putting things up when they're fresh and in season and buying in bulk, those kind of things. You can certainly still save money and eat good quality organic foods. But the other thing is there's more labor involved. And so like our berry farm here, we hand harvest all the fruits and we try and pay the people who work for us a good living wage starting at least $10 an hour and then upward based on experience. And I think people need to value good food. You know, this is what you're putting in your body and you want it to be nutritious and healthy and flavorful and safe. And you get that with organic. And I like that you use the word safe because so often when we talk about food safety, we're so focused on salmonella and E. coli and there are people who say, oh, you know, the organic system uses manure and so that's a source of E. coli and they're frightened about that, but they don't realize that the organic system requires a composting time. So help us explain that. Let's bust that myth. Well, yeah, organic farmers are unique in that any use of animal manure is tightly regulated on organic farms, whereas it is not on conventional farms. And the bulk of manure used in this country is applied on conventional farms. But with organic farms, you have to keep track of where the manure came from. And then if you're growing crops for human consumption, it has to be composted, which means it has to heat up and be turned and you keep a record and that record is checked if you're going to use that compost on crops that people are going to eat. So that is actually much more rigorous than non-organic farmers have to face. But the other thing that I'm concerned about is the 
explosion of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching a special on PBS directly linking that to confinement livestock systems, which are prohibited in organic. So you can't have continuous confinement. Animals must have access to the outdoors, and ruminants must graze on pasture. And numerous studies have looked at levels of pathogenic bacteria, so salmonella, E. coli, etc., on organic farms that have outdoor access versus confinement farms like poultry and battery cages, and finding that the amount of bacteria and contamination in the poultry meat is much, much, much higher to begin with than on the organic, and it is extremely rare to find bacteria that have antibiotic resistance coming from organic farms, where it's very common coming from conventional farms. And the reason is antibiotic use is prohibited in organic livestock production. So the bacteria that are there do not develop resistance. And so then if someone does pick up an illness, the antibiotics used for human treatment are still effective. And we're really losing the effectiveness of antibiotics to treat human illness, and it's directly linked to these CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations. Absolutely. In fact, antibiotic resistance is one of the World Health Organization's leading global health concerns right now. All right. And, And Europe banned the use of antibiotics that are used in human illness banned their use for livestock in 1999. Wow. So 18 years ago. And they're not starving. Yeah. And they, they still produce a lot of livestock and livestock products. Exactly. They found a way. Yeah. But here the drug industry and the confinement systems have such political power that they have blocked any attempt to restrict or limit or prohibit the use of the subtherapeutic, the giving of antibiotics when animals aren't sick. Exactly. It's still allowed for what's called prevention, yeah. um, which means routine use exactly. in the feed, yeah. not just to treat a sick animal. I share your concern. You brought up political power, and I'm so glad you did, because one of the comments that I hear from farmers who choose not to be certified organic is they say, well, you know, I don't want to be involved with the government. And I've heard you speak to this issue before, and I wish that you would again address the topic of, hey, you know, government intervention and involvement, beneficial or not? Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I mean, I certainly understand and and share some of those concerns. I'm a bit of a libertarian at heart. I like living in the country and kind of living my own life. But at the same time, when it comes to organic, in the 1980s, we had 30 different states that had different state laws. We had private certifiers with their own standards, and we actually went to Congress, went to the federal government and said, please regulate us, because we needed one set of standards that leveled the playing field. And I think here it certainly is a case where the buyers, the consumers, the eaters have responded to strict standards, and those protect the honest farmer as well. And so, you know, there's this kind of deregulatory fervor going on with the current administration, and I certainly hope they don't take after and think they're 
going to weaken the organic standards and do us a favor because for us, strengthening the standards actually directly relates to market growth. People want to have confidence in what they're buying. And so in this case, I think strong regulation, strong enforcement, and stopping any imported grain that's conventional being sold as organic, USDA needs to take tough enforcement action against people who perpetrate fraud in the organic sector. I totally agree with you. As an organic consumer myself, I want to be able to trust that label. Yeah. And I think that for the most part, I can. But it right. does. There's another thing that's going on that I'm really concerned about, and that has been the increase in hydroponic operations, people growing tomatoes, berries, whatever, in water on a substrate and calling those products organic. And to me, it's outright fraud and and is a violation of the Organic Foods Production Act. But USDA has turned a blind eye, and people are selling uh, mass quantities, millions of dollars of products that are raised under hydroponic systems, no relation to the soil, soil health, biodiversity, all the things we expect of organic farming, and they're actually written into the law. You know, they're using a a nutrient solution that's approved for use by organic farmers. And then that's it. That's the only thing. And then grow lights in an artificial environment, grown in plastic trays, and then uh, sell those products as organic. And I really would like to see the NOSB make a firm recommendation to the National Organic Standards Board and say enough is enough and USDA to crack down on these type of fraudulent operators. Jim, where could people learn more about this and other issues regarding the organic label and then be able to make comments? Ah, Well, now you're putting me on the spot. I'm sorry. You mentioned that I'm chairing a new organization, uh, the Organic Farmers Association. We don't have everything populated that we'd like, but certainly that's one place to check out, organicfarmersassociation.org, but also groups like the Rodale Institute, Beyond Pesticides, Organic Consumers Association, the Organic Center, all have great resources available just to help people understand what organic is and some of the background of what's going on here. I'm so glad you mentioned those. I'll make sure and have those links to our listeners. We just have a minute. Do you want to leave us with a charge? Well, we are what we eat. Vote with your food dollar. Seek out organic food. If stores where you shop don't carry it, ask. The market is growing. The supply is growing, but not near fast enough from domestic farmers. So talk to your representatives, senators, and say support more funding to grow organic food here in America. It absolutely supports Homeland Security. So thank you for that. Jim, I will put a link to the great keynote presentation you gave at the Beyond Pesticides Forum so that our listeners can hear all of the great reasons you gave for why this is not a blue state, red state issue, but this is all of us coming together for Homeland Security and Public Health. So in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Jim Riddle, a certified organic farmer based in Winona, Minnesota, but internationally respected and known 
as an expert on organic farming systems, standards, policy, and advocacy. I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much, Jim, for spending time with us. Well, thank you, Melinda. Good talking with you. Same here.